Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. My name is Art. Welcome back. And welcome back if you are new. It's so good to have you here. It is the middle of August. And I feel like the Christmas time is really starting to kick in. The Christmas feelings. The anticipation that in a couple of weeks we'll be into the burr months. And Christmas will be coming before you know it. And that's not to stress you out or make you overwhelmed by all that needs to be done, but with excitement to look together at the beginning of this coming Christmas season. I've got a full episode ahead, including another Christmas story that is in kinship to the story we had last time, but I think you'll enjoy it. First of all, I want to get to some housekeeping items here before we get going too farther into the episode i would invite you to follow us on youtube i've just or will be soon posting a video talking about some christmas books i found in some bookstores while i was on vacation including a couple of editions of a christmas carol i was pretty excited about and a lot of that is visual so i wanted to um, post a video there so you folks could see that and i'm hoping to and playing around with the idea of posting more uh, video content as well as my podcast there on YouTube. That's something I'll, I'll be working on this fall and, and winter, and I'm hoping um, you'll join me there. So please make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel as well. And uh, this podcast, you will always be able to find uh, everywhere podcasts are listened to. Also, uh, I will be picking up my Christmas blog again. It's called The Christmas Corner. Uh, I was invited to uh, have a Christmas blog on Bill's wonderful website, thevillagecollector.com. It's a website full of primarily about village buildings, Christmas village buildings, things like that. And Bill was so kind to invite me to write the occasional blog post over there. So I will make sure to let you know when those are starting to come out. But while you're you're waiting, uh, I would definitely encourage you to check out the website, thevillagecollector.com. It's, if you are a Christmas collector of any kind, you will enjoy the website. Uh, but I'll let you know when I've got uh, those blog posts coming out. And a special thanks to Bill for letting me have this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And then a uh, book club update. We have started reading for August's uh, pick. It is Rescue Murdered Gentleman by Vicki Delaney. And she has been on our podcast before. I thoroughly enjoyed the interview uh, I had with her. Uh, and I'm excited to be sharing this book with all of you who want to participate. If you are interested in joining the uh, Christmas book club, there will be link in, links in the show notes, but you can find us on uh, Facebook. If you just search the Cozy Christmas Book Club, it should come up in the search results. If you're having trouble finding it, just go to our Facebook page and ask me to help you out or send me an email at cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com. Okay, all of that out of the way. Let's take a minute and talk some books. Uh, today's book recommendation is the Cozy Mystery series. Uh, the Christmas Tree Farm Mysteries. It's written by the aptly named Jacqueline Frost. And the book I read just last month was called Twas the Knife Before Christmas, a Christmas Tree Farm Mystery. And it was written in 2018. The synopsis says, It's out of the cupcake tin and into the fire for Holly White's best friend, Carolyn. Can Holly clear Carolyn's name in time to go caroling? 
When a body turns up in a larger-than-life candy bowl filled with peppermints on the town square, Holly White is horrified to learn her best friend Carolyn is the main suspect. Everyone in town, including Mistletoe, Maine's sheriff, saw Caroline fighting with the victim on the night of his death. Worst, a custom kitchen knife engraved with Caroline's initials was found with him. Now just 10 days before Christmas, Holly's up to her jingle bells and holiday shenanigans and in desperate need of a miracle. Juggling extra shifts at her family's Christmas tree farm and making enough gingerbread jewelry to satisfy the crowd is already more than she can handle. And now she has to find time to clear her best friend of murder. And in her budding relationship with the sheriff and a personal stalker dressed as Santa Claus, and Holly's ready to fly south until springtime. But her Sherpa-lined mittens come off when Caroline is taken into custody. Can Holly wrap up the case in time for Christmas? Even after she gains the true killer's attention? Find out in Twas the Knife Before Christmas, Jacqueline Frost's second pine-scented Christmas tree farm mystery. So I've read two of the four books in the series so far, and I've really enjoyed them. I love all the name puns, the atmosphere, everything about it that takes place in this little town of Mistletoe, Maine, on a Christmas tree farm. I thought that the mystery was good, the characters were fun to read about, and kept me guessing until the end. It has a wonderful uh, Christmas atmosphere, and I think it's great. It would be great to read any time of the year. That's what I read this past month and thought it was worth sharing. Today, we are going to be talking about the legend that is Mrs. Claus. Now, Santa gets plenty of recognition and quite right, but let's not forget about his wife, Mrs. Claus. My first introduction to Mrs. Claus was actually my grandma. As, as you've heard me talk about my grandpa and how much he looked like Santa, my grandma embodied Mrs. Claus. She was kind, caring, rosy-cheeked. She wasn't short and round, though. Uh, she was tall and slender. And boy, did she love to cook. At Christmas time, the table would groan under the weight of good food provided for her family. Cookies, treats, snacks, fruits, cakes. This description from A Christmas Carol reminds me of her. It's the scene where Scrooge meets the ghost of Christmas present, and it says, It was his own room, there was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back the light, as if so many little mirrors had been scattered there, and such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as that dull petrification of a hearth had never known in Scrooge's time, or Marley's, or for many and many a winter season gone. Heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. On film, my first introduction to Mrs. Claus was from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Played by Peg Dixon in Rankin-Bass's classic TV film, 
She was my ideal Mrs. Claus for many years. Now, I love her line when she tells Santa, Papa, you haven't touched a morsel. I'll have to take the suit in. Eat. And then Santa says, I'm busy, Mama. It's almost Christmas. Mrs. Claus then says, Who ever heard of a skinny Santa? Eat. Eat. So, I figure Mrs. Claus must be Italian. My stepmom, who was full-blooded Italian, would bake up a storm and constantly talk about how skinny I was. And she would say she needed to fatten me up like a good Italian boy. And then I tell her, but I'm Norwegian. And though she, at her heart, was a passionate Italian woman, she embodied the spirit of Mrs. Claus, too. Mrs. Claus has been played in movies by many wonderfully talented actresses, such as Angela Lansbury, the aforementioned Peg Dixon, and my personal favorite, Elizabeth Mitchell. She plays Mrs. Claus in the Tim Allen Santa Claus movies and series. And I know Mrs. Claus has had many different names over the year, but I think my favorite of her name is Carol, like she has in the Santa Claus movies. Now, one offbeat choice I really enjoyed was Marianne Jean Baptiste, who played a wonderful, albeit very different, Mrs. Claus to Mel Gibson's Santa in the dark and gritty holiday movie Fat Man. Uh, She was far and away the best thing in that film, which, to be honest, I actually liked for the most part, but it's not a film I'd want to watch at Christmas time. But Mrs. Claus has also appeared in literature. And according to uh, Wikipedia, it says that Mrs. Claus is the legendary wife of Santa Claus, the Christmas gift bringer in Western Christmas tradition. She is known for making cookies with the elves, caring for the reindeer, and preparing toys with her husband. And as far as we can tell, that the wife of Santa Claus is first mentioned in the short story, A Christmas Legend, published in 1849 by James Reese, who was a Philadelphia-based Christian missionary. And that is going to be the story I will be reading to you today. But in most recent years, Mrs. Claus has continued to appear in literature. Sometimes she plays a supporting role, like in Matt Haig's wonderful Christmas trilogy, especially the first two books called A Boy Called Christmas and The Girl Who Saved Christmas. Then if you've been a longtime listener of the show, you might be getting tired of me recommending this series, but you've heard me talk about Liz Ireland's delightful cozy mystery series featuring Mrs. Claus, April, to her friends. I am happy to report there's a new book coming out at the end of September called The Trouble with Turkeys, and it takes place over Thanksgiving. And I'm excited to read that book. I'll be reading it Thanksgiving week. I think it's going to be a great way to kick off the Thanksgiving Christmas season. I believe she has a novella coming out as well in another collection that will be Halloween-based. I think that we will probably be seeing more stories and movies in the future that will elevate Mrs. Claus from a background character to the front. I'd be okay with that. It can explore an often overlooked aspect of, of Christmas. So do you have any memories of a grandma or mother or sister or aunt or anyone who you think would rival the generosity and greatness of Mrs. Claus? Let me know. I would love to hear from you about any memories you have any stories you'd like to share here on the podcast. I'd be happy to read that out or uh, play a recording of you talking about it. Just send me a message at cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com. I think we need a story today, and I'm going to read to you the first time that Mrs. Claus is mentioned in literature. Uh, The aforementioned Christmas legend by James Reese. He lived from 1802 to 1885, and he was an American author, playwright, and editor. So if you are ready, 
I invite you to make yourself at home and cozy up next to the Christmas fire. And I'll read to you A Christmas Legend by James Reese. It was Christmas Eve. Around a cheerless fire in a humble dwelling were seated four persons, a man, his wife, and two children. The age of the one, a boy, was about ten, that of the other, a girl, seven. They were looking up from their little stools to their parents, whose conversation they had been listening to with some attention, and anxiously awaiting for an opportunity to speak upon a subject in which their hearts were much interested. Christmas Eve is an epoch in the life of youth. They look forward to its approach with all those pleasing anticipations ever attendant on boyhood and to the fulfillment of those joyous dreams which pictured that happy event in all the gorgeous colors of youthful fancy. There is a charm in the very sound of Christmas. It comes upon the heart that is careworn like a ray of hope. It sheds upon the pallid cheek of sorrow a beam which illumines the darkest chambers of the soul. It is a day set apart for the great purpose of purifying the moral world and giving to created things a glimpse of that which is eternal. The Sabbath is the holy day of the week, Christmas of the year. Happy they who can meet it with a smile. Happy they who extend to their children the full hand and strew their pathway with the gems their young fancies had conjured up. The hobby horse in the eyes of a little urchin is a mine of wealth. A doll to a smiling-faced girl is a gift whose price in her estimation is beyond human computation. There is not one upon whom a parent or friend bestows a testimonial of affection or esteem, but becomes in the eyes of the receiver a prize to be remembered when other and brighter things shall have passed away. That happy moment when the morn breaks upon the holy day and the stockings' treasures are laid before them in worth and their estimation, all the promises and bright prospects of the great future. What is the future to the enjoyment of youth who bask in the sunshine of the present? There was a pause in the conversation. The little girl looked up and met the tearful eyes of her pale-cheeked mother. The past had been the subject of their discourse, and their remembrance had filled their hearts with grief. Their daughter spoke. Mother, I have tied my stocking to that big nail near the fireplace. Do you think Kris Kringle will come down the chimney tonight? Oh, sister, what nonsense, quickly replied the boy. How can such a huge figure as he is represented get down our poor chimney? That is it, my child. It is because we are poor. Poverty keeps from the humble door all the bright things of the earth, except virtue, truth, and religion. These are more of heaven than of earth, and are the poor man's friend in his hours of adversity. Then, Father, I will take my stocking down, I thought, indeed. Mother, I thought that Santa Claus and Kris Kringle loved all those who are good, and have not I been good? I know my lesson. I love you, Mother, and my brother dearly, and do whatever I am told. Yes, yes, you are a good girl. Do not take the stocking down. Custom, at least, should be observed. And, perhaps, that young heart may not be disappointed. This was uttered with a sigh, which was responded to by the mother, and silence again reigned in that humble dwelling. Yes, muttered the father, 
This night, seven years ago, she disappeared, eloped, and no tidings heard of her since. And these children think of it no more, husband. She was an ungrateful child. But this not all. The anniversary of that misfortune heralds in another. Our rent is due tomorrow, and a merciless landlord to deal with. What shall we do? Ungrateful child. Yes, yes, so she was. At least in that one set. For up to that period was she not our pride, our comfort? You ask what shall we do about the rent? Why, do as others have done before us. Go to the poorhouse. And that day which has and will give joy to thousands will be to us the gloomiest. And that little girl, that dear creature whose stocking now hangs upon the rusty nail in expectation of finding therein some pleasing toy, will find in its place a, a moldy crust of bread. It is all her father has to give. God be with us, but this is a fearful world. Oh, husband, say not that. The world is deity's work, and are not all created things his creatures? True, it is our lot. Then, come what will, let us bear it patiently. Yes, wife, you are right. But I have often thought, and sometimes my thoughts assume strange forms, and the mind conceives strange ideas. There is a fearful mystery in this philosophy of deity. For do we not see the wicked prosper and the righteous begging bread? Crime dwells in palaces and sits in cushioned pews. It rides in costly vehicles and mocks the cries of the poor for bread, while honest poverty starves. I often think of this and regret to say find myself murmuring at the degrees of providence. Dear husband, what are the few short years of life on earth to that which is eternal? If the righteous suffer here, will they not be forever happy there? While wicked and the prosperous man of crime, for his short-lived pleasures on earth, will meet an eternity of woe hereafter. You are my better angel, Gertrude. From this time forth, I will never repine. Hark! Someone knocks. See, John, who it is. John opened the door and admitted into the room an old man and woman, both carrying a bundle, evidently all their worldly wealth. The old traveler stood for a moment in the middle of the room, gazing on the group before him, then inquired how far they were from the city. Two miles, was the answer. We will not be able to reach it tonight. My dear wife is nearly tired, but we have traveled far today. Then, sir, travel no further. John, hand chairs, sit down. Uh, that lily bed is yours for the night. Tomorrow it is the landlord's. Sleep there in peace. Wife, get some bread and cheese for our guests. And John, put some more chips on the fire, for the wind whistles wintry around the house. And this is your family? All your family? inquired the female traveler in a tremulous voice. No, no, not all. We had one other, a daughter. Dead! Alas, we must all die. Dead to us, my good woman, but not to the world. But let us speak no more of her. Here is some bread and cheese. It is all poverty has to offer, and to it you are heartily welcome. There was another pause. Everyone seemed wrapped up in their own thoughts, and as the wind whistled around the house and shook its old dilapidated windows, they mechanically crept closer to the meager fire. There came upon their ears in that lonely quiet house the sound of merry voices. The violin, the tambourine, and the loud jocund laugh broke upon the stillness like some ill-omened messenger. Yet was it Christmas Eve. 
but from whence came such strains? This question was asked by the traveler. Ah, sir, replied their host. Those joyful sounds, in which are mingled many a youthful voice, proceed from the dwelling of my landlord. He is wealthy, immensely wealthy. And although lavish to extravagance in his own family, he is ever the poor man's foe. Many an inmate of the poorhouse owes his fate to that hard-hearted, cruel man. Even now, these very sounds which should proceed from happy hearts are forced and intended to mock our poverty. Is it possible? Go to that door, sir. Look out, and you will see that his windows are up so as the gay sounds may reach our wretched ears. Oh, sir, human nature is a mystery. This is one of its enigmas, and can only be explained when the secrets of all hearts must be made known. Hark that about. All mockery. All mockery. The morn of Christmas Day was a lovely one. The sun arose bright and beautiful. Its soft beams warmed the chilly air and made a million of young hearts happy. Scarcely had the light broke into that little chamber than the young child stole slyly out of bed and crept softly into the room where slept the two travelers. One look toward the chimney place, one glance at her stocking was the first idea, and then toward the bed where the old couple lay. They still slept. All was quiet. Her little heart throbbed with high hope. Her dreams had been pleasing ones. Dolls, toys, and games had danced gaily through her mind during the night. Streaks of light came down through the half-closed shutters, and as she stepped stealthily across the room, objects became more distinct. The fireplace, before all dark, now assumed its natural color, and the stocking what was that? What object now rivets her gaze as she stands spellbound in the center of the room? Step by step she approached nearer to the place. And to her surprise and astonishment she found not only the stocking full, but on the stool beneath it were many pleasing and delightful toys. Books, candies, etc. lay strewed all around. Was it a dream of her youthful fancy? Or was it reality? Her head run round, the room seemed full of strange objects. Fairies were dancing on the carpets. Elfin sprites seemed whirling their little forms through the room, and as she cast her eyes on the bed, the figures of the two old people had changed, and two pair of sparkling eyes were gazing on her, alarmed, astonished, but bent upon the stocking's treasures. She gave one wild scream of joy and fear, caught the treasure in her arms, grasping at the same time the well-filled stool she rushed wildly from the room. As she passed through the door, a peal of laughter followed. In closing it, she bounded into the sleeping apartment of her parents. In an instant, the house was all alive. The scream awoke her father and mother, and her brother, springing toward her, snatched a box on which was written his own name. He grasped it eagerly, and opening it, found to his surprise that it was filled with handsome bound books and various amusing games and toys. Oh, father, exclaimed the delighted Jane, Chris Kringle has been here. See, see what he has brought us. Oh, such beautiful toys, such gems of things. I am so happy. And the delighted girl danced and capered about the room, gazing alternately at her little store and her equally astonished parents. The old man muttered something about he suspected them both when they first put foot within his door. Having dressed themselves, they descended to the lower room, 
and making up a fire, the kitchen, which was used as their eating room, soon presented a cheerful and Christmas-like appearance. The coffee was made, the cakes baked, and the poor oppressed family, who expected to be turned out of their house for the non-payment of rent, forgot a while their troubles and their grief. There are moments when the doors of memory are closed, and the bright sunshine of hope makes the future all clear. Sorrow is not eternal. It has its changes, its stops, and its antidote. They come in the moment of trial, and presto, the whole scene of life is variegated with the pleasing colors of fancy. Is it all fancy? Let us see. Now, good wife, knock at the door of our guests. Bid them come forth to our humble meal. They have been kind to our children, and their strange dress and manner, assume no doubt for purposes of their own, is no business of ours. Call them to breakfast. The wife obeyed, and the door being opened, out came, not the decrepit old man and woman, but a young and lovely couple dressed in fine clothes. Their faces lit up with smiles, and the merry Christmas was given with a fervor and sincerity to hear, which was to feel that it came from the heart. The humble family started and gazed upon their guests. The children crept behind their parents, for their youthful imaginations had already clothed their kind patrons in a supernatural garb. How is this? exclaimed the father. Why, these disguises, and... Hush, sir, exclaimed the laughing couple. Recollect, this is Christmas morn, and we now appear, not as old Santa Claus and his wife, but as we are, the mere actors of this pleasing farce. But say no more, your coffee smells delicious. These cakes look inviting, and my Amelia is hungry. I know she is. Amelia? muttered their host and hostess. Yes, Amelia. Why, how sad you look. Is there anything in the sound calculated to make you feel sad? No, no, on the contrary, the name calls up the past, when all was joy, all was happiness. Oh, William, see how you distress these poor people. No more of this. But, sir, exclaimed their host, one word, gracious heaven, let me gaze once more on that face. Wife, look, look up, see, do you not, am I awake? Father, mother, do you not know your long-lost Amelia? My child, my child, screamed the mother, and in a moment the daughter was clasped to the breast of her overpowered parent. Stand back, exclaimed her father, as Amelia now approached him. Stand back, exclaimed her father, as Amelia now approached him. Stand back, let not the crimson blush of shame mantle on thy mother's cheek for taking to her arms the lost and abandoned. Away, leave us to our sorrow. The withered tree cannot revive, though the green tendril should entwine itself once more around it. Its purity is gone. Oh, father, hear me. Speak not, ungrateful girl. That man, that base... Silence, father. Wrong him not. He is all truth, all honor. He is thy paramour, girl. No, father. He is my kind and affectionate husband. Ah, thy husband. In a moment, the daughter was clinging to the breast of her father. Then there was joy, and the Christmas morn looked forward to in sorrow because all sunshine and happiness. Our story is told. William Sanford had stolen away like Othello, the old man's daughter, and like him, married her. William had been wild and dissipated and was forbidden the house. 
Amelia loved him. They were young and foolish. The world appeared before them all sunshine, a garden of flowers. They looked not for the clouds. They dreamed not of the thorns. Shortly after the elopement, they left America for England. Amelia sent a letter to her father, which it appears he never received. They left friends and home, thought not of the misery they had caused and the sorrowing hearts of those they left behind. Reflection in youth is not the reflection of age. The one is the offspring of a day, the other of years. One agitates the surface of the mind, the other maddens the brain. After their arrival in England, Sanford became heir to a large estate. Then it was, after Providence had blessed them with a fine boy, they thought of the past, for parents only feel for parents. The remembrance of a father's kindness, a mother's love, came over Amelia's dream of happiness like a cloud, frowning on her joy and dimming the brightness of her life's sunshine. That heart can never know happiness which closes its doors against a parent's love. Dear mother, can you forgive me? Father, will you bless your Amelia once more? Say no more. All is forgotten. All is forgiven. And my brother, too. My dear little sis. God bless me, but I am so happy. To say they were happy is a word scarcely strong enough. Repentance brings happiness, and the sunshine of religion sheds over the soul, that holy ray of light, which nothing on earth can ever dim. It is the star of Jehovah fixed eternal in the heart. Did the landlord seize their little furniture? No. Happiness was theirs, and a more cheerful Christmas day could not be imagined than the one passed beneath the humble roof of Robert Paxson. Let my readers reflect on the moral of this sketch. If it creates one throb of pleasure and sympathy for the poor family now made happy, then is the author fully repaid for his Christmas legend. The End And that was A Christmas Legend by James Reese. So what did you think of the story today? I thought there were some interesting parallels to the story from last week. So I thought it would be fun to read them together. And what's interesting is this is the first story that Mrs. Claus has mentioned. She's not really mentioned much by name. There's not really much that we find about her. Just that she's there. She's mentioned. So is it too much to assume that people at this time just assumed there was a Mrs. Claus? Were there already other maybe oral stories being told about her? So the author, all he had to do was just refer to Mrs. Claus as Santa's wife and people could fill in the blanks as to who she was. You know, I don't know. A couple other things about the story. I'm pretty sure he comes pretty close to plagiarizing Dickens there at the beginning about the, the joyful sound, that joyful feeling that Christmas creates in your heart. I did enjoy the opening description of Christmas and what it means to people. I like that he, he described it as the Sabbath. If the Sabbath is the holy day of the week, then Christmas is the holy day of the year. And it's a day, you know, that maybe Christmas is everybody's Sabbath day, the day to, to rest, to, or, you know, refrain from work and to give thanks to God for what we have. Well, the story itself is pretty basic. Uh, you have, again, a poor family ready to lose their home. And on Christmas Eve, a miracle happens. You know, 
this could be the plot of a modern day Hallmark movie. But uh, the difference is we get, you know, the mysterious stranger shows up just like in last week's story. Uh, this time he has a wife. It could be Santa and Mrs. Claus. Uh, but it turns out, of course, it's his long lost daughter and her husband. And it sounds like what happened is that she ran off with a guy that they didn't really approve of. And he was afraid that they'd been living together in sin. <laughs> Uh, so you really get some very conservative ideals there. But that's what a lot of these stories would do quite often is that they would teach some kind of moral lesson and, you know, that the, the children or the family were to learn from them. But here again, we also have a theme of redemption at Christmas time, which I think goes right in line with the the feeling of like a Christmas carol, you know, and I see influence of a Christmas carol even in this text, the way Christmas is described, you know, the sentimentality behind it, the, the moral lesson it's trying to teach. But I like that the end, the family is reunited. And I hope that you will be welcomed and reunited with your family this Christmas. If not, maybe it would be good to speak out up. Maybe it would be good to reach out to somebody that you have been estranged from and see if there can be amends made. It might be worth it. But uh, another wonderful, cozy Christmas story. And I hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this, to this episode. Let me remind you to send in your stories of Mrs. Claus. Were they, was it your grandma, your mom, aunt, sister, someone who you think might be the real Mrs. Claus in your life? Maybe you've written a story about Mrs. Claus. I'd love to share that on the podcast. Please email me your stories or memories or questions and comments to cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com. Well, I'll be back in a week or two, and we will continue our March to Christmas 2023. Your support of this podcast means the world to me. I've recently had a couple of donations on Kofi, and I just wanted to say thank you to those who have donated. If you'd like to help us out in a financial way, you can check out the show notes or go to Kofi.com, that's ko-fi.com backslash cozy Christmas. And for any donation, I'll send you a card and a bookmark or sticker. Well, it's a hot August day and my snowman is melting, so I best be going. Please take care and let's remember to honor Christmas in our hearts and try to keep it all the year. Have a very Merry Christmas.